0: I think we haven't updated the operating model of organisations for a long time. We've had this dogmatic approach to profit and finances as being the major drivers in organisations. So we've lost the humanity and we've lost the ability to think long term about the value that an organisation offers.
1: All right, everyone, welcome to Lead Difference Experiment with Friends. Today I'm joined by my friend Kyron. Kyron, it's good to see you. How are you doing before we start? I'm great. Thanks for asking. Um, How are you? Well, I'm in what my wife calls Barry White mode. Yeah, you sound amazing. I'm recovering from some kind of sickness, and my voice gets deep, and she kind of likes it. (laughs) All right. She's also thinking that if I record as many podcasts at the moment with this voice in this mode, that we might change our listening demographics slightly.
2: Yeah, yeah uh, I can see that. I think that.
1: she's a little little wishful there. But uh, I'm really excited today, not because I sound like Barry White, but because Kyron, today, we have two guests and we both know them. They're both, we're, yeah. they're both friends of ours, aren't they?
2: Correct. Yes.
1: Now, I've known them a little bit longer than you. But it's not a competition, but you're winning. So yeah, Of course but... I am. It's always a competition, Kyron. <laughs> Uh, I've known him a little bit longer. I've, I've, I, yeah, I, you just did the Ignite Group with him, but I knew them I before did. that. And I, I, I actually recruited them both to be in the Ignite Group with you because it was an awesome group. Now, the two friends, guests, this is the first for our podcast. We've never done this before. Two Very people right. at the same time. Kyron, it's going to be a little bit confusing, but are we up for it?
2: Uh, yeah, Yes, I am prepped and ready.
1: Full of confidence. Okay, our first guest, <laughs> uh, I'm introducing her first because I've known her the longest. Uh, and I met her a few years ago now i think it was before the pandemic i don't know who it's all confusing anyway i met her and how i met her is that we chased each other around a building in the cbd (laughs) right and so i think it took us about 25 minutes to find each other now look if i was to really be honest she knew exactly where we were supposed to be meeting i was the one confused and i was the one creating the confusion and we just went round and round this building until we finally found each other when I actually met with her, I was actually blown away um, by a couple of things. One, how smart she is. Number two, how courageous she is. And then, as I've gotten to know her, one of the things that I've really enjoyed is uh, just the way she delivers life changing information to organizations and teams and individuals. So, her name is Beth Ann. She specializes as a speaker, trainer, and coach in critical and creative thinking, decision making, and communication skills. Uh, Beth Ann, I'm going to talk to you in a second. But so you're not going to say hi yet. Don't say hi. Well done. <laughs> Our second guest I met because Beth told me to, because that's how much I respected Beth She said, You really need to meet with this person. So I said, Okay, whatever you say and i was equally blown away and i didn't have to chase her around a building because i discovered how to be clear with directions by this point point. and we met up and i was equally blown away by her smarts her eq and a strange way in which her brain works in approaching problems and issues and if you know anything about me i love a strange brain and so uh, we became friends i think fast uh, because of that and uh, Alex Bukowski is our se- Oh, I've said it wrong. Alex, can you interrupt me? What is it again?
0: Bukowski.
1: Bukowski.
0: That's okay.
1: okay. Alex Bukowski. Uh, but Alex is our second guest, and she founded this organization, which I love because they're called Possibility Arena. And Alex is incredibly gifted at guiding leaders to break through the current system and create new organizations that are human-centered and fit for the future. I love that. Human-centered and fit for the future. Welcome to an experiment with friends, ladies. Uh, Beth Ann, can I ask you first, tell us something about yourself.
3: Hello. Uh, somef- something about myself? Anything. Sure. Uh,
1: <laughs>
3: Look- uh, I'll tell you something about work, I guess, first. Um, sure. As you said, I get really excited about critical thinking and uh, creative thinking, problem solving, communications, Um sharing skills with people holding space for them to think for themselves as well as offer some tools and frameworks to work better live better be better teams just improve things all around
1: (laughs) now can i can i interrupt with you there when you say critical thinking so one of the things that pops into my mind when i hear the word critical the words critical thinking is thinking negatively because you know if someone's being critical Mm. they're being negative so what (laughs) do you mean when you say critical thinking uh so knowing so, you you're the least negative person i know so i know no, it's not know. negative thinking. <laughs> I'm
3: optimistic to a fault sometimes yes um, uh so my definition is it's skills knowledge and attitude um all together so sometimes people have good critical thinking attitudes they might be curious quite open-minded um but when you add into that um Encouraging them to take time and space to evaluate information, to reflect, um, and knowledge around things like logical fallacies, cognitive biases, how arguments are structured. And, um, you know, people go, oh, how do I use that every day? I'm like, well, you make thousands of decisions every day. Every decision is like a little argument with yourself. So it has... Argument
1: with yourself. I love it.
3: <laughs> yeah, it is, right? You're kind of debating. Do I do this or do I do that? Okay. Whether that's consciously or subconsciously. Yeah. So um, very, very useful and transferable to right. anything. So it's
1: corporate corporate speak for deep thinking.
3: Uh, I guess so. Maybe? Yeah. No,
1: no. Oh, that's I just think- an element of it.
3: Yeah, and and as I've been doing it for a while, um, initially I was like, I really like logic, Um, but then also it's realising humans are emotional and a lot of decisions are made off the back of, you know, emotion and we are very biased in our thinking. So, you know, sometimes it's useful to just be aware of that and lean into it if
1: required. That's awesome. I bet that your work utterly transforms teams and organisations. Because there's not a lot of stuff around on, on what you do. That's one of the reasons that I liked you. I was like, ooh, this is interesting. <laughs> and, uh, and the way you present it was interesting. Um, thank you thank for telling you. us that about yourself. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to move on to Alex now because Alex has been sitting so quietly and so well. And I'm <laughs> kind of surprised that she's behaved herself this well so far. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, tell us something about yourself.
0: Hello. I am a positive disruptor in the world of work is is probably how I best describe myself. Excellent. I recently escaped the escaped. corporate world. I'm a corporate escapee and wow. I've chosen to help organizations become a bit more human. Right. Because, frankly, we deserve better than they are at the moment. Yeah. Mm.
1: I hear what you're saying. So you escaped the corporate world and now you're going back in with a different set of weapons? <laughs>
0: <It's> very <laughs> aggressive sounding.
3: Well, you
1: know.
0: <laughs> no weapons, more love and empathy and the human elements.
1: Hey, love is a weapon love is one of the most is so
0: it depends which road we're going down are we going down the love road today
1: <laughs> right so for the people who are listening who are, who are confused yes we are already all very good friends but the reason that we're doing this today is because uh i wanted to bring some people in who could help uh have lead a really and have a really fun discussion about problems that we're not even aware of um and for the most part in our workplace but they probably bleed into our personal lives as well and so i think Hopefully, people can figure out that both of your perspectives are going to be incredibly powerful and unique as we discuss some of these things uh, today. All right. So, the first question, just to lay a little bit of foundation um, for what we we're talking about, I want to hear both of you guys and you too, Karen, because you're in a corporate world. So, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, Bethan. Let's start with this. Bethan. How long have you been out of anything corporate, running your own thing?
3: Oh, mm. well, I was never really in corporate for very long. Uh, three years running my own. Thing. Yeah. I suppose I've always worked in education, teaching in different capacities prior to that. Um, okay. So, you know, yeah, I, I, I see a lot of corporate, um, but I've never really had to play the game for very oh. long.
1: <laughs> yeah. Now, I will say this. Uh, our schools, for the most part, are set up to get people ready to be good, behave, good behaving mm. citizens of the corporate world.
3: Oh, so while yeah.
1: you say you didn't we in the corporate world i say you're at the foundation of the corporate <laughs> world
3: <laughs> uh, okay yeah yeah despite uh you, you got to tie the line to some extent no matter what kind of educational establishment you're in um yeah, yeah. yeah. but uh, yeah. i i like to ask questions of that and how things are done a lot more
0: these days
1: yeah yeah okay and alex how long how long have you since your escape because you said you said recently how, how recent are we talking
0: oh uh, three
1: months
3: yes it's still only three oh wow
1: <laughs> so would you say that you fully detoxed yet or are you still working some of the stuff out of your system
0: uh, I'm straight back in there <laughs> straight back into the fire
1: <laughs> uh, wow so straight back in so, so you felt that de- you felt like detoxed and ready to go straight away
0: mm-hmm. um, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about how to improve the world of work probably because I've been in that system for so long and right. had experienced some really good things about corporate world but also yeah. some things that were just not going right
3: Yeah,
0: and yeah. the the company was in, I wasn't able to, I wasn't given, I wasn't in the right system to really make the impact that I wanted to make in the world yeah. um, in the role I was in.
1: Yeah. I like that you touched on that there is actually some good stuff because we're not going to just rip on corporate world. Like if the corporate world was completely bad and evil, no one would be there. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is something that keeps people participating and involved and maybe it's that there is some good stuff there.
0: (laughs) Well, where human beings are made to work, I I really believe that we are not meant to um, be sitting around on our couches watching Netflix. Look, okay. that's fun and it's good to be comfortable some of the time and relax. Yeah. Yeah. However, human beings have a need for certain things and certain things are to progress and to do good things in the world. Yeah. So yeah. we want organisations that create that environment for us yeah. and it's just a shame there's not many environments that are creating those spaces for human beings to thrive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right like like all the studies on ubi have you guys seen much around the world of universal basic income
0: a little bit yeah yeah
1: so every every society or group that's put in ubi um where basically people are going to get paid for doing nothing right unemployment hasn't gone up mm-hmm. people haven't quit their jobs people might have gone and started other jobs but people still go out to work and try to find it people mm-hmm. basically the, the bums on the couch don't increase with UBI, so when you say people are made to work, that's a really good point. Um, that's been proven because when they're given the opportunity to not work, most people go out and like, well, what am I going to do then? Um, Look yeah. what
0: happens when people retire. Like they, yeah. lots of people stop working and they get cu- cut off from that social interaction with people, and they have no purpose, and yeah. it's often not very happy for people.
1: Yeah,
0: I don't ever want to retire. Mm. I think it sounds. No, I mean- yeah. The dream is
3: to do work you don't want to retire from, right? <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: It's the same mentality when people win the lottery. Wow. They go, "Oh, I've won lotto. I got all this money. Don't need to work ever again." And then, like, just miserable because they don't do anything. Yeah, I'd like to give that a try sometime. Yeah, give it, give it a go, James. I'll, give go. I'll, to, I'll yeah. go
1: and, and I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> Keep me posted. <laughs> um, so well, let's uh, let's dig a little deeper, even in this term of workplace culture. And whoever chimes in what a chinese means, what does that even mean when when you hear that word workplace culture?
3: I like the definition around uh, the way we agree to be, because a lot of places, you know, leadership are like, oh, you know, we control culture and we can change the culture, but it's about everybody and whether that agreement is conscious or kind of unconscious. Um, And I see that those parallels. Because like prior to starting the business, I was doing a lot of volunteer and community work, and the way that those groups agree to be, the way that we agree to be, you know, in our neighborhoods, with our families, with our teams at work, like it, it crosses lots of different areas for me.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I, I know
3: everyone's got different perspectives.
1: <laughs> no, that's great though. Like, I, I think most of the agreeance is happening in a subconscious level. Mm. Mm by showing up, <laughs> by continuing yeah, to show yeah, up.
2: Yeah.
1: Even if there's complaining about that culture as well. Like there's still... You're still agreeing by to it. turning up. Like,
3: yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah we, we're going to complain about the culture, we're still going to agree to it by showing up tomorrow. hmm Yeah. yeah. What, what about you, Alex? I'm interested in your thoughts.
0: I see um, culture as a network of living relationships interacting with each other. Right. For to deliver some kind of purpose or to live to deliver some, some kind of goal, I very I, I quite like what Bethan said about what we do. It's to me, it's what we do together, and right. it's through right. those interactions and the energy that's created with those people that culture happens.
1: Yeah. So how does that? Just as a quick thought that came to mind is how does that apply to working from home? How does because that's an interesting thing where you said, oh, the energy that happens, because it's a vastly different energy on a call like this as opposed to being in the room and arguing with each other. I mean, having this discussion.
0: <laughs> yeah. I just, that, there, therein lies, lies the complexity of what we don't know yet. Yeah. Now, I would challenge that I've been on calls like this and had very meaningful connections with human beings around the world and mm-hmm. the connection has been designed to deliver that that it's not happened often through accident so it's purposeful Um, but i don't think anything takes away from a group of people being together in a room and the energy that you get from that yeah
1: Mm.
2: i think there's a shift in um like just in working from home and this may may not be be helpful a bit of a side note but i was in a discussion internally with the organization that i work for and someone asked me how I had experienced the hybrid working model because I work by myself in Western Australia and I go into the office all the time because it's just me, it's great. Um, or challenging depending on how you wanna look at that. But they, they just went, hey, how have you experienced the rest of the staff maybe working three days in the office or two days at home? And I went, I, it's like talking to different people. So when I meet with someone and they're in the office, they turn up as a, a, like part of themselves or as, as this this version of themselves. And then when I have a conversation with them when they're working from home, it's still the same person, but it's a different version. And so I find that a really intriguing experience of like, oh, they're a bit more relaxed and they don't have that formal, I'm at the office, therefore I'm going to do this and talk like this today. It's just, it's quite interesting to to know. and I think it's uh, – like, and a difference is p- possibly neither a good or a bad thing. It's just different, right? But I think for, for those that are in the office, it's just the nature of other people being in the office. So if you work in an open space, like an open office environment, mm-hmm. that's going to change – for some people, that's going to change how you turn up and how you work. Um, and so it's I, – yeah, I think that's probably the main thing is actually having an audience when you're working.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
3: I guess you're trying to – um, not appease, but something like that, like you're aware of the different audiences, perhaps one-on-one mm-hmm. are people different, like more like they yeah. are at home?
1: Yeah.
2: Well, if, they, if they're one-on-one, that, sometimes they're in a meeting room that has windows. So mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, so know, they're like still like being it's, watched. It's still, yeah. It's still going to be like, and yeah. so that's, uh, again, probably not helpful, but like I, I love the fact that I can work alone because I don't have to worry about or consciously think of or even subconsciously think of anyone around me that's watching what I'm doing. Yeah.
3: Um, I do I do like to use the analogy of like a mixing deck with personality right so that because people go like oh my god you got so much energy like you must be really extra all the time <laughs> and I'm like no 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 I turn up <laughs> certain parts of yeah, my yeah. personality for different contexts or turn them down you know and yeah. speak differently with different audiences and that kind of thing so it's almost like they're they're, they're toning down on multiple areas because there's mm-hmm. this diverse audience potentially watching Um, so a bit
0: more guarded perhaps
3: yeah
0: Yeah. and I would question what are the potential unwritten rules that are influencing Mm. their their behavior in that environment Mm. so if it's not okay to tone yourself up in that environment maybe they're not feeling comfortable to do so and if people who tone it up don't get promoted in that culture then behavior Mm. changes
1: yeah Mm. Yeah, interesting too. Um, Can I, I like your unwritten rules. Can I suggest even better Mm. is an unwritten agreement? Because I feel like rules are imposed, but if everyone's agreeing to, if everyone's participating, then they're agreeing to it.
0: I guess they're agreed patterns, aren't they? That, you know, Mm. could, I think everyone knows. knows often what those rules are like i think if you you know uh, if they go out for drinks after work everyone probably talks about what the rules are and how you get ahead and what you do and you don't do (laughs) they're known
1: yeah yeah i I remember i was working with a pretty large multinational and we were running some a session with some uh their younger um yeah, young, some of the younger people. I'm, I'm trying to keep it anonymous here. <laughs> and 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 in one of the complaints that came out of the room, there's there's probably 20 in the room who are all high performers, but they're young. One of them was like, oh, I'm just getting tired because if I want to get promoted, then I have to work weekends. Mm. And everyone in the room just started nodding their heads. I was like, mm. interesting. I'm like, so you're all participating in this. Right. If you're the high performers, you're the one that I've been chosen to work with me because you are high performers and yet you're which means you're the ones who are being offered promotions and Yet you're all creating this environment for each other. Cause it's not actually written down anywhere.
3: Mm. Um, and then that perpetuates, right. They think that's how right. I got ahead. Therefore that's what I look for in the next,
1: in the next. Yeah. Year. Yeah. So that was an interesting, fun little part of the conversation. Mm. Um, so, Alex, I want to throw this to you because you're the most recent escapee. <laughs> what did you see was the most challenging part? Because one of the, I think a lot of what you're doing with Possibility Arena is in Human Centered and Fit for the Future, which I think is a really cool tagline and I'm a little bit jealous um, of your tagline. One of the things that I think you're doing is, is perhaps what you're doing in that a reaction to what you've been in for the last decade or so 20 years you've chosen to fix problems that you saw what were the biggest problems that you were experiencing not just in your organization but the stuff you were seeing around around the globe in workplace culture
0: i think we haven't updated the operating model of organizations for a long time mm. so we are working on a system that was good for the industrial revolution and we haven't really progressed hmm. And yeah. I think then we've perpetuated that through the sort of the 80s, the 90s, and then we've had, you know, this dogmatic approach to profit as, and finances as being the major drivers in organisations. And that now just seems to be just the way it is around here. You know, why, why would you think that anything other than profits at all costs is wrong? Like it's just become such a fabric of the organisation and with that comes very short-term thinking around quarterly earnings for shareholders. So we've lost the humanity and we've lost the ability to think long-term about the value that an organisation offers.
1: Right. Would, is that what you're seeing as well in your work too,
0: mm-hmm.
3: Um, Yeah, uh, all of that really resonates. And um, I was just noting there... Um, what we're seeing—I don't want to be like you know, like oh, millennials, this and Gen Y, that—but that seeking a purpose greater than just the bottom line
1: yeah.
3: is what mm-hmm. I'm hearing from a lot of young professionals I'm working with and young people that I speak to. Um, you know, people want to know what what value are you bringing to the world, like yeah. other than creating a product that people are buying, kind of thing. Um, yeah
1: and that that's, that might yeah. be showing up in the younger people but that's been around like my mum's how, how old do you reckon my mum is karen throw it i'm not going there james <laughs> it's it's she was okay she's born in 53 so what year are you we in well she, oh
3: she's got 22 so, so she'd be nearly 70
1: 70 next year <laughs> oh. right so yeah. she's 69 my mother is like that's been her whole life her, that she's operated in the way that you're talking about where it's attributed to young people today but I don't necessarily think it's a new thing maybe there she wasn't voice for it before
3: yeah um, I guess you know the uh Simon Sinek's popularized the starting with why you know I yeah, know it yeah. wasn't necessarily his idea but he speaks very eloquently about all that and um yeah, yeah there's it's hard to know you know like people think yeah. oh my generation invented X, Y, Z. It's like, no, no, no. We've been doing this for like
0: centuries. (laughs) (laughs) You just called it something
3: else or, yeah.
0: yeah. It it makes me reflect on, you know, even the words of Viktor Frankl, right? You know, Mm -hmm. that life is, you know, humans want Mm -hmm. meaning in life. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. We're meaning creatures. And so why would we spend our lives going to a, a place where we couldn't find meaning. Like, don't we deserve more than that?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And when you look at, there's so much research and information that shows how you could design an organisation that would allow people to, uh, to have connection, to have growth, to have purpose. Uh, and it's all out there, but we don't. And that's the, that's the part. Like, why do our systems not? Um, and that's just something that really intrigues me.
1: So what does create meaning then?
0: I, um, I think human be- beings are wired for certain things and I think if we go back to, you know, is it rewarding us? Is it a reward or is it a threat? I think we think we've advanced since we were running around on the Sahara, but we haven't that much. So I think that there's some just fundamental things that we're wired for. Right. So what are those needs and are they being met?
1: Right. And that creates meaning. I think so. Yeah. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just, I yeah. want your perspective. Yeah, What are you, Bethann?
3: Um, that's, uh, it's an interesting point that Alex raises. Yeah, I guess what we all want is quite similar at the end of the day. We want to feel that we're, we're doing something useful to, to show our, our, Usefulness to the to the tribe essentially isn't it like show that value that we have and to feel connected and that we belong and um yeah I'm I'm my my kind of brain is going off in all sorts of different directions around once we get to a certain age you know when we're not useful for reproduction anymore (laughs) and so how do we express our how do we show our tribe that we are valuable to keep around if we're going with this kind of you know Uh, aeons old sort of software that we're all running on um so uh, yeah i don't know i guess what gives us meaning is very different for everyone but uh, again studies have shown we might think that we want to be the best at something or we want to you know our egos want to reach these big achievements and yet often when people have won Olympic gold or their teams won X, Y, Z. Afterwards, they feel quite depressed and they're like, oh, well, I've done that. Now what? Mm. <laughs> um, we, we strive for things and then go, hmm, what's, what is the point? Why am yeah. I bothering? Mm. I guess this is what midlife crises are all about, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not made to rest on our laurels. I remember reading no. about um, the early um, uh, uh, Apollo missions in NASA and, mm. um, so when when they started sending humans up into space and then to the moon the build up to going to the moon the training all that stuff was really intense it was a huge meaningful thing and then they came back and 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 NASA's everyone thought oh we need to give them a rest now we'll give them a break for 12 months and every everyone who came back spiraled out because they had lost purpose right like they even though they oh you've earned this rest you're giving a rest we'll just put you on the sideline that being sidelined uh like you're saying like my usefulness to the tribe where does this fit now and they soon discovered that um yeah they only need about three days rest and then get them back in and doing something Mm. and and so even if it's just small little things get them back in because they do need to recover because you know the bone mass and everything decreases while they're up in space and all that and so on the on the outside it looks like oh my gosh that's really harsh Those people have gone through this crazy stuff and then they come back and they just put straight back to work it's because it's actually what's best for them as human beings Mm. um because yeah nasa spends a ton of money into research on this
0: maybe i'm going to contradict myself totally here from what i just said but what i was thinking when you were talking was what but there's a lot of action and let's do things in the work which is what i just said but then I think more of a, more of a meditate meditation being still, not clinging to external things. Yeah, I, and I think those two things are in opposite to each other. But I think holding that paradox is a useful thing to do.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and maybe that was part of it, like with NASA, just having him around the office, right? You know, like just be around your fellow mm-hmm. people who are on your team in your tribe instead of sitting at home isolated you know kids are off at school sitting down watching whatever netflix the equivalent was back in the 1960s <laughs> and 70s <laughs> um, i think
3: that paradox that you describe alexa that's kind of the human condition am i happy with what yeah. i've got or shall i be working to progress in whatever way and, yes. and I often have that conversation, right? If you're making progress on anything, that's often what makes us feel good. Um, and yet we do know that we also need to be grateful and satisfied with where we are and celebrate our achievements. But we find that quite difficult, I think, particularly if you're very uh, goal-oriented, action-oriented. Um, and finding that balance can be very tricky. Yeah. Yeah.
1: One of the things that I wanted to talk about too, cause it seems to be all over the place is something that people are like, Ooh, this is new and different. And I, and I don't think it is. And I'm pretty sure you don't think it is either, but this, this idea of disengagement, um, disengagement in the workplace. What do you guys see as driving that? What do you think some of these solutions that could be, we could be gathering around? Cause this is pretty much, I feel like is the, the core and the drive of both what you guys are trying to achieve within teams is and organization's, um, yeah, so um, I'll stop talking and let you guys answer.
3: <laughs> well, I agree it's not new. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was it like in, you know, more unionised days, like working to rule? It's just, you know, delivering what you've been asked to. Working
1: um, to rule? Is that what it was? What, yeah, that?
3: yeah. So you literally just follow the, the letter of your job description and your times and, and do no more. Um, because, And then you realise how many workplaces run on, people doing more and um Uh, and particularly you know if it's a a job that people are kind of a a calling like a a vocation like a teaching or nursing or uh fireys anything like that that the whole system runs because people do more because they care they're not going to just like leave someone to die or um you know tell that kid to get stuffed when they really need help um so it's definitely not new um i guess it's just got a cool new name (laughs) and so a lot of people are talking about it um i mean it's it's an interesting one because you go well why how how do we get away with expecting people to just go above and beyond all the time and yet the best people often do because they care and that's why they're the the the, some of the good people to have around i
0: don't know Mm. thinking out loud alex (laughs) <laughs> even good people eventually get disengaged i think like because you can be a good worker but if you're in a bad system mm. then that can impact you um it reminds me of the uh what's his name from pixar ed calc
1: yeah
0: so he talks about the, what he did at Pixar, and he did this amazing thing of bringing these creative people together around this wonderful culture, and it was very much built on being very open and very safe and um, um, that kind of culture. And then when they took over Disney, that wasn't the culture at Disney. No. And the experiment then was if he took that what he did, which is helping people connect together as humans and creating some systems and some ways of working for them, could he just replicate that with the same people? And he did. So the people hadn't changed, but it was how do we create an environment where people thrive, where people can bring their whole selves to work, where they feel psychologically safe and where they can thrive, Mm. and how do we create the systems and the structures and the policies that support that? Because what I see in organisations today is we have all these systems and policies and everything, but they don't support the work. They almost seem to bureaucratically squish the work and it becomes more about control.
1: Yeah. Um, So you're arguing it's easier. So so the approach from those organisations is it's easier to change the person than the system. So if someone's disengaged, you just get rid of them.
0: It's their fault, right? Yeah. We've gone down the road where it's, very much focused on the the person and their psychology so they they don't fit the team or they don't have the right behaviors or they don't fit in around here but is it really the person or what is happening
1: yeah well what is what is let's call them out What, what are some of the systems that create this do you think that you guys see
0: reward systems. so how you pay people is based on individual performance not team performance so immediately you create competition between people in the organization
1: yeah and i've, um, I've yeah. worked in organization well i've worked with organizations as a consultant and they've referred to the hunger games <laughs> like and and people are okay with that they just will not, we're okay with it. They're just like, well, oh, that's just the way it is. And when, when you think about what the Hunger Games are, where people are killing each other just to have one survivor, that's a zero sum end game, right? Like, mm. how can an organization function? And you expect people to engage when there's a zero sum end game going on for rewards.
3: Another thing that does cause disengagement, like, I've seen friends and sort of business connections. Big corporates going through rounds of redundancies or restructures, and when you seem to see that, you know, every year or two, there's like, oh, here we go again, who's gonna survive? Mm -hmm. Um, and feeling that lack of, um, like nobody cares about you as a person, just a number and Mm. how you impact the bottom line of the business, like, uh, there's just not a nice position to be in, right? I think that's what leads a lot of people to question who they are and what they do and why they're doing it yeah or if you're on a team where they go actually you're you know the whole project you've been working on for the last two years let's get rid of it it was a bad idea and from a decision making point of view good on anyone that is willing to own that decision and admit okay maybe it was a mistake but for the people in that team it's like oh what have i been doing like what's the point kind of thing yeah
1: those, those are, yeah. What else have you got? This is good. What else have you got as cause of disengagement? Because this is this is really useful, I think, for people to look at uh, where they're working, where they're engaged, and, and hopefully they can begin to create some, some noise about possible change or uh, start to disagree <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of showing up to agree with the system.
0: <laughs> A great example that I read about recently, I can't remember the name of the company, but they looked at their travel policy and their travel policy had multiple approvals from senior people around which um you know firstly they had to sign off on that travel but you could only stay in certain hotels you could only travel with certain airlines there was you know policy documents coming out of their ears around what you could and couldn't do and it frustrated the hell out of everybody in the organization and slowed them down and ultimately they didn't feel trusted they experimented apparently and said well why don't we just take away all the rules like if we experimented with a small group of people and said you guys can travel first class you can go where you want we'll give you absolute freedom but we're going to make it visible about what you're doing so we're going to give um, a level of transparency to what's going on would it make a difference and what they found is the cost savings for that group was greater than the ones where they had the heavy controls in. Really? Yeah. So we have all of these controls because we ultimately don't trust other human beings, right?
1: Well that's yeah. true, yeah. That mm. would that yeah, that would that would cause me to disengage, that's for certain. <laughs> Karen, what about you? What what are you seeing in this?
2: Like there's been a couple of specific examples, but I think the the underlying themes uh, that come through is like if a, a lack of autonomy a lack of trust and a lack of meaning or purpose in what you're doing mm. then I'm out yeah. like that's from a, from an individual perspective yeah. you yeah. know uh, and uh, so I that's should,
1: right because you when I remember talking to you I'm going to, I'm going to dob on you and tell on you great you left the organization you work with now to work with yes. another organization and then you came back to the organization you work with now yes one of the things that i remember came up quite a lot was in the new organization that you spent a brief hiatus with was the feeling of being watched the whole time and yeah. someone having to sign off on anything in every, every breath you took. And it felt, and watching you, it felt like you were dying inside. I, I remember thinking, is that an accurate?
2: Yeah. yeah. The, the, the oxygen got sucked out. Yeah. So I came from a role, like a, with I work with Opportunity here um, in, in WA and I'm all on my own. And the oh, by organization... the
1: way, just pause, Opportunity are sponsoring the podcast. Oh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's very um,
2: cool. Well done. Um, but, you know, I, the, the organization intrinsically trusts me because I've got no other choice. I'm the only person here. Uh, <laughs> and so I ran my own show and I got approached by another organization and they said, hey, come and do it for us. And, you know, you can do your own thing and like be part of a team on the ground. I'm like, hey, cool, with people in the office, that'd be kind of nice. Um, but the the words and the the deeds were a little bit different. You know, what, what they said and what actually happened was was not quite in an alignment. And so I was working for this other organization for a couple of months and I'm like this, uh, you, you told me that I could come here and run it as I needed to and just, you know, run my own show in that sense. Um, but what I'm experiencing is not that. Yeah. And so that. For me, like I, yeah, I, I died inside. Like I, I looked at it, going, I'm not sure if I can last here, and whether that's a flaw with with me, um, and just the way that I work <laughs> and have, you know, work well with other people. But you know, I, I was not a, I couldn't look ahead and go, yeah, I'm going to be here for the long haul.
1: And and I wonder if what happened was that someone actually wanted to give you that freedom, but there were so many policy documents in place. That it was just not going to be possible, like like Alex was saying. You know, all these documents and things that are in place. That one one person saying, "Hey, you do this amazing in this way. Come and do that thing in this way over here." And then you got there and like, oh, there's no space for that here. Yeah, Yeah. because the 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 documents were taking up all the space.
2: (laughs) I'm I'm curious about how we would define disengagement. You know, we, we've kind of talked a bit about it and there's a couple of things that I think we've, we've brought up, but I'd really love to get a real, like, what does a disengaged employee look like?
3: I think as an outsider, when you observe someone who's disengaged, yeah, it's, it's, you notice those things happening where it shows they just, they kind of don't care. Um, and often disengaged is interpreted as uh being deliberately disruptive or negative or awkward or difficult or, or
1: other lazy, things.
3: lazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's that, you know, taking, taking a day off at very short notice without considering the team it's, um, showing up late, it's being behind on stuff. It's, it's manifests in many different ways, I imagine. And it's whether we're talking about really disengaged to the point where they're put on performance plans and things like that or disengaged to the point where, you know, they're still doing what they need to do but
0: their heart isn't in it? I often think people who are disengaged care too much or they, that's the, that might be the crux of it because they do care. Um, I definitely think that people who I see who are disengaged care but they feel so undervalued for who they are as a human being Mm -hmm. and they feel a sense of despair that they are not in an environment that recognises their strengths um, and meets them in a a way that allows them to unleash the genius that's inside them for the organisation. So I think a lot of people feel like they're prisoners of the organisational hierarchy and Mm -hmm. that... They want to add value. They want to do good in the world.
1: Hang on, hang on. Prisoners of the organizational hierarchy. Have you trademarked that term?
0: Is that a band? No, it just (laughs) came out of my mouth.
1: (laughs) Anyone else think that's a freaking amazing term?
0: It's a good way to
3: describe it for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And one of the responses is that people stop caring anymore about that. But it's, but it's, it's weird in the dichotomy that they care so much that they stop caring. Or they stop trying. Hmm. Yeah.
0: And, and you have all these conversations because I've been part of them where people are going, oh, we could be so good as an organisation. Imagine if we did this. Yeah. Imagine if we did good work and then it, it, they just don't, they can't fly. Yeah. And I just, and that's what I'm passionate about. How can we create organisations where we could unlock that genius and everyone could yeah. just be amazing? Yeah. I'm a dreamer. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it and it's funny
3: it sounds like a big vision but on the ground it's on okay. a daily basis it's the little things that make the big differences and yeah. uh, I don't know if that's where correct sorry Clark, I don't know if you were gonna go somewhere with it but um that kind of show, showing appreciation for each person in a way that they appreciate um and so often corporates are like oh well we'll just pay them more and maybe they'll do better it's like time and time again more That's money not, not the answer it's
1: well they call it the golden handcuffs then
3: well yeah yeah and and that fits that prison analogy doesn't it you're like oh i can't go anywhere else because who's going to pay me this much and give me this much holiday <laughs> you're like but isn't there more to life than that um, oh yeah
1: a friend of mine was the was the ceo and general manager of an organization which uh had about Um, For their day-to-day staff, they probably had about 60 staff. So they're not huge, but they're not tiny either. They had a couple of... He he was a genius at engagement where there was no such thing as sick leave. There was no such thing as holiday leave. There was no such thing. If you needed to take a day off, you just take your day off. If you need to go on holidays, you just, hey, I'm going to be on holidays for this time. What he said was if someone is going to abuse that system, that's my fault. And that as a CEO, he said, it's my fault if that system gets abused. It's not their fault. Mm-hmm. And that was the way he approached it, the level of ownership. Not only that, but after you'd worked at that organization for two years, you had a meeting with him. And in that meeting, you sat down and you told him what you were going to get paid.
3: <laughs> That's brave.
1: Yeah. And I, he was there for 12 years and they went from running in the red to being running in the black and being one of the most successful organizations in the company in their, uh, sorry, in their field, one of the sexual successful organizations in their field in, in, in actually globally uh, while he was running under those um, premises uh, of how they operate. And he, I said to him, I was like, did you ever have anyone come in and make an unreasonable wage request? Nope. Never happened. That's a lot. I mean, you think about the number of people that are employed there. And the other thing is that people were fiercely loyal to him and the organisation and each other. Like there was no Hunger Games. There was none of that. Mm. Mainly because you were getting paid what you got paid because you asked for it, right? (laughs) You can't get jealous of bonuses and bell curves and all that kind of stuff if, oh, you set your own wage. (laughs) Mm.
0: I wonder if the size of organisations has an impact.
1: Oh, it has to.
0: I think about Dunbar's principles around the size of social groups, yeah. um, and I think Gore-Tex mm. has done this really well. Yeah. So once they get to a certain size, beyond what a social group can recognize each other by name and, and I think work, two hundred,
1: 200, isn't
0: it? Yeah, I think it's two hundred. Um, they they splinter off and they get a new office and they create a new organization, and it's similar mm. to the Chinese um, company Heia. You heard of that? Oh
1: yeah, yeah, They're yeah. A phenomenal.
0: Massive. So they were yeah. a very large bureaucratic organisation, which just totally revolutionised their organisational model, and became small units of entrepreneurial little groups working together, but had total freedom about how they ran those groups. So there's some amazing examples out in the world of these new organisations that are saying the old bureaucratic way is not the way and um, are trying different things. And it's really just amazing. I just think it's fascinating.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I've I've always thought that... That Gore-Tex thing, I remember hearing that that years ago and thinking, that's actually extraordinary. Um, And I I think the size of organisations has is a big issue. Yeah. I would agree with that. Um, Any more than 200 and you're just, you're getting lost and you can actually show up and clock in and clock out and no one even notices.
2: So how do you get from here to there? Like I'm I'm thinking about organizations that are going, or someone in an organization going, oh, the way that you explained that, that CEO and general manager, James, what an incredible leadership style, what an incredible leadership trajectory. Um, and then oh, we've got a big organization. How do you f- go from where you are, which could be in a bureaucratic, maybe a toxic workplace, to a place where um, the Hunger Games no longer exist, and you can get to the point where you could perhaps go, just <laughs> take as much leave as you need, name your price. Like you know, that, like there's it's a big leap, yeah. right? There's a huge gap in the middle.
1: One of the things that I see is courage, um, right? Mm. That's the that's predominantly the, the, the missing ingredient that I see from most organizations um, not just for individual like not just individual courage but like organizational courage right because uh, organizational courage is a thing like as, a, as an organization do we have the courage to take some risks to step out there to trust to because because to, to trusting someone requires a tremendous amount of courage like it's there's a reason people, get married there's a whole bunch of trust involved and it's called a leap of faith <laughs> mm-hmm. right there's a whole bunch of trust involved and so that, that's my um uh that's my two cents worth or five cents we don't have two cents anymore that's my five cents worth over to alex i saw you scrambling and writing what do you have you sound like you've got to have something much more and both of you're going to have something much more profound than courage C-cur-
0: courage is it but i think with courage if you have a larger organisation that's pretty established, you've also got to couple that with power. So power, and people sometimes don't like to talk about power, but power is required to make a significant change uh, and that, power if you have got a hierarchical organization you've got to have the people at the top of the organization bought into that so some of these companies um that have changed the way they do things they have got that person at the top who've said who's been courageous and said i've got the power to make make a difference i think can i I use
1: a different word then? Because power rubs me the wrong way because it feels like the old system i can influence
0: if, if that's what you choose um, to use, I think that's what you choose. But I don't think we should Great be response. afraid. Of, I don't think we should be afraid of power.
1: If people, if people aren't at the very top, I think a lot of people will see themselves as, oh, I don't have the power. Versus, you always have influence. Mm-hmm. I think individuals yeah. always have influence. Mm.
0: Yeah.
1: And you can influence from the bottom up.
0: Sure, and you can so- have, and I believe you can have power from the bottom up, but. I okay. think I think we're saying I think we're saying essentially the same thing, but we're just avoiding the word.
1: <laughs> Brilliant! Let's go with that then. <laughs> this is this is why we're all friends.
0: Once you have that influence, then I love. I was reading Gary Hamill's book, um, *Humanocracy*. He uh-huh. suggests that um, that we need to do hacks. So he's saying once you've got the right environment, you need to hack, right? So
1: um,
0: you need to create safe-to-fail experiments where you go, okay, this stuff is just pissing everyone off here. Let's just in a safe way figure out if we stop doing that and we started doing this, what would happen? Um, So if the policies are annoying everyone, let's stop and see what happens. Um, So I think it's about breaking through some of those things that we've always done it. Like that around here? Well, yeah. do we have to? Um, and it, to me, it's all about engaging the people. It's yeah. not about people in high power positions making those decisions. It's the people in the body of the organization being given some of that power to really identify what needs to change and do it because they know and they yeah. have the genius to be able to do it, I believe.
1: Yeah. Because, and giving, sp- Holding space for that too because I don't imagine – I imagine most people would, would love and leap at the opportunity to go, imagine if we could all set our own wage. But imagine like the courage it takes to to approach the boss. Say, <laughs> so, hey, I think everyone here should be able to set their own wage. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Ann, I want to hear from you because you've been – thinking longer than the rest of us, which means your answer is probably going to be better.
3: Making I just blurted
1: out my answer straight away, which means it probably wasn't very good.
3: <laughs> Someone has to go first, right? And then we all build on each other's responses. <laughs> uh, um, I, some similar stuff, actually, like variations on a theme. I wrote down like having trials. So often with problem solving, I talk about find a way to nibble rather than scoff. Because if you go in and say, right, this is what we're doing, we're making these dramatic changes to everything
1: nibble not scoff is that what you call it
3: yeah 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 it's it's like you're uh, you talk about uh, muskets over cannons yeah yeah it's bullets, a much nicer yeah. vision and uh, visual with that <laughs> um, bullets over bombs yeah nibble <laughs> rather than scoff so you know yeah. you're not going to change it overnight and yeah. although we might sit here and say hey that sounds amazing there's a lot of people i know actually who would be very uncomfortable with having complete autonomy, they're so used to rules and being told yeah. what to do. Um, and that's not to say it's right or wrong. It's just, you know, they, they've chosen to be in very structured hierarchical organizations for a reason. And then if you just go, Hey, let's throw all those rules out the window. A lot <laughs> of people would really struggle. So um, okay. a bit like Alex said, you know, involving people in the process, I wrote down, uh, Ikea effect, you know, just, just, going in and imposing a different set of rules um, is not necessarily going to work. What's the
1: IKEA effect?
3: Uh, so uh, when you've created something yourself, you value it more highly. So whether that's a piece of IKEA furniture or, you know, if I've printed you a, a picture of you or I've hand drawn a beautiful picture you know, watercolor, whatever. Um,
1: Picture <laughs> of Karen.
3: Of Karen, yeah. <laughs> <though>. <laughs> um, so involving people in it, you know, it's if you're helping someone solve a problem, you can tell them what to do, or you can say, "What do you think is the best approach?" And yeah. obviously, that second yeah. avenue is generally more successful because you've got people bought into it. Oh um, yeah. So yeah, those those are things that I would throw in there um yeah just just and and I guess you know a lot of what we talked about earlier with disengagement is people being um listened to valued as an individual so likewise in a big change like this you'd want to be listening to people a lot um and rather than saying this is what it is you say okay we're going to try this for a little while we're going to get feedback we're going to see how it goes and then we might tweak it and change it and you know, try it in a slightly different way um, and find what works. Or you just get rid of everyone and say, new organization, this is how it is if you like the <laughs> idea. No one
1: can apply it. for a job. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, because <laughs> you would lose people. That's the reality, yeah. right? You would lose some of those people who yeah. do not want to come on yeah. that journey.
1: Yeah. One of the things I know is that both of you are much more patient than than me, probably a lot of more wisdom <laughs> in that too. So, in your mind, say a typical organization, a lot, not typically, there's no such thing as a typical organization, but an organization built on the old structures and systems that we've been talking about. Say they've got 80, you know, 40 to 80 people on staff. How long do you think it would take for an organization of that size to turn around? Because that's the other thing like, how do you do this? Well, how long would you expect an organization to take to, to do this in a healthy manner? Because me, I'd come in, I'd be like, you're all fired, we're starting again, you can apply for your job tomorrow if you want.
0: <laughs> well, look, I, I'm, I'm not going to say time because I think that's just, I, I just don't think that's um, possible to know. It depends on how broken it is because yeah. you've got, and I would, the first thing I'd be doing is creating the space for those people to come together to rebuild relationships and creating the space and the time. To, or just
1: build maybe for the first time. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. You know, how do you get people to come and turn towards each other in relationship? Right? That how do you do that? And that would then create the energy to make it happen much faster. So whether it's a year or 3 years, it would happen much faster if you started with the human connection and doing that work.
1: See, that's why I ask these questions to for you to give a completely different answer that's the right answer.
0: There's no right answer; <laughs> Just lots
1: So of... that's a much better answer than the answer that I was after, though. Mm. Yeah. Right? If you want to speed it up, start with a relationship. That's a great answer.
3: Mm.
1: What about you, Bethan? Bethan, what do you think?
3: Um. Yeah. Similar. I don't think you could put a timeline on it. And um, and I'm now. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> but but you know, if someone if someone was to approach me and say, "We want to make these drastic changes. Will you help us?" As an outsider exactly what Alex said you have to build up trust to do that um and people have to be willing to almost like strap in for the journey and say okay yeah we're gonna you know spend time everyone getting to know each other and building that trust um and people feeling that you know they they are part of this team going on this journey together um and that it's a collaborative thing rather than you know often Someone might go, oh, yeah, we'll get, uh, you know, insert name of large consulting firm here. A team will will descend and go, are you on board or not? Right, you're fired. We'll get rid of you lot and um, we'll restructure this, that, and the other, and then they disappear. And I'm sure all of us are in the game of, like, wanting to have successful outcomes, which is not about wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, Yeah. pay me my money and I'll go off. It's Uh about... Being there as a partner on that journey and and helping them yeah. along the way because yeah. it's an infinite game, right? It's never like oh, and now it's all fixed. There will be yeah. something else. There's always something yeah. else.
0: Yeah. I have the words of my mentor Mark lebuski in my head, and he he always says the human game is a long game. Mm. It, and and this is some this is why I think the challenge lies in some of the work that we want to do is because the world is on that quarterly cycle. They want things fast. They want, like Bethan said, they want the consultant to come in with the the playbook of how to do it, the best practice, and off we go. And Mm. that's just not reality because we're human beings, but it has Mm. to emerge and it has to evolve and you have to start somewhere. Mm.
3: Yeah, and it might be that, you know, you take a team to a certain point and then pass on that baton, but I know that the biggest impact... I've had in my work is with those people who invest little and often in training or coaching or whatever, rather than a kind of, oh, oh, now we've got this problem. Can you just come in and, you know, do a two hour session and fix it? And then six months later, they'll go, oh, maybe this thing, you know, it's got to be. Uh, what's the James Clear? We don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. Um, so it's those regular practices that really count.
1: So here's an interesting question then. Um, Alex, you posed before that uh, a lot of our systems are built around the Industrial Revolution. Um, What do you think the future of the workplace is then for both of you?
0: It's a world of work that's more human, where we can bring more of ourselves into the workplace, where we feel safe and where we deliberately design organisations to meet the needs of the people in them. And that can be quite challenging, right, because all human beings are so different and diverse. But that then is where the role of the leader has to evolve because that's the leader's job, in my opinion, to create an environment for people to thrive and to understand their needs understand their strengths and create an environment for them to do that and for me organizations are about groups of people working together
2: Hmm.
0: so i'd love to see organizations be treated more like communities where Hmm. you have people coming together to contribute to shaping value that they deliver in the world mm-hmm. and if we change from organizations to more cultures what would that be like
1: that's a good answer so what you're saying is that the job of a leader isn't just to get people to do what they're told
0: it's definitely not to do that james yeah.
1: oh man i have to update my whole thinking about lead no
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's great i really like that answer what about, you? what about you when you how would you build on that Bethan?
3: my my yeah my first response is kind of like meh you can do whatever you want so depending on whoever's in charge of that organization or whoever's you know the the board or you know c-suite whatever they they can make it however they want it to be and and the beauty of technology is that we have that total flexibility you see all the debates at the moment about oh it should be this it should be that it's like well it it can be whatever you want it to be and if that's working for you and your teams, then th- there's no point even you know engaging in that comparisonitis of mm. stuff because it will attract people who want that culture hopefully or or that purpose that you're working towards. I do think it's interesting how there's this move, and um Alex mentioned there about communities. I feel like because we are generally um you know, we're social creatures and we're actually, if you're working full time and you're really committed to your job, I see a lot of people that struggle to have good connections outside of work and mm. the the workplace mm. is stepping into many, many areas that, you know, they traditionally didn't need to or didn't seem to or, you know, it just looked different so if I think about, um, uh, so on a very small level, my dad ran a community pharmacy and he really cared for the team and was almost like a fatherly figure for the, it was an all female staff most of the time when I was a kid. Um, and what that looks like now in a big organization is you've got your, you know, the just little extra things where, you know, that the cafe is on site and the daycare is on site and there's, healthcare plans uh which are you know for australia quite unusual and the what do you call Mm -hmm. it The like the mental health programs and Mm -hmm. um you know even sometimes the coaching that i do it feels more like you know sort of psychologist kind of stuff even though it's not meant to be and i don't ever sell it like that but you know people kind of just let dump their problems and just use that sounding board and and um providing social activities and weekend activities and the families socializing together, you're just like, oh wow, like where does where does that stop? I don't I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. so the in the same way that you know there's talk around in relationships, we expect our partner to be our best friend, our gym buddy, our accountability partner, you know, like tick all these boxes because we don't see our friends as much. And and likewise yeah. the workplace is I don't know, that the pressure on a culture to almost fulfill everybody's needs um and you go i don't know if that's healthy i always say to people like it's good to have something outside of mm. work that you're excited about and, and mm. that you're passionate about because to put all your eggs in that basket i don't think is very healthy um even though it's important to have good relationships at work yeah they go rant <laughs> thanks for coming to my TED talk <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I, remember I uh, when I started Lee like, different, whatever, eight years ago, nine years ago, um, one of the driving factors of that was that I just realized that there was that popular saying, show me your five friends and I'll show you your future. Mm. And nine years ago, I was like, well, that's a lot of crap. Like we don't have time to spend with our friends. Like, our future is built around who we spend time with. Well, that's work. Mm. So if we can build incredible workplaces, mm. That can enable people to be better partners, be, be better parents, be better friends, better relatives, um, better support networks for those around them, but it it's not gonna happen because I hang out with friends because we don't spend enough time with our friends. Mm. Um my one of my best friends in the world I've seen twice in the last three months. One of my yeah. best friends. Yeah.
0: So, Is there something in this about balance that we've 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 got, have we got the balance right across all areas of our life? Because like I I agree. No, no, we haven't. (laughs) Work is is one part of a balanced life. You know, family, external community, hobbies, all of those things are hugely important. But it feels to me that people are on the hamster wheel of work and that is, the majority of what takes their time and it's great if you've got a good job but even so my a coach my coach said to me a couple of weeks ago what about a hobby and I was like oh a hobby I used to have those before I started my own business what happened um, and I love playing the piano I'm not very good at it and I'm just learning but I love to play it and isn't that's just so important as another outlet besides work um, so is that having, your new hobby it's, well, it's, it's an old hob, ho, a hobby that I need to do more.
1: Right. That's hmm. awesome. What's your hobby, Bethann?
0: <laughs>
3: um, I guess it, I used to see like running and cycling as a hobby. I'm a bit injured at the moment and it's been very rainy. So the gyms, the gyms become, it's more functional, just like, you know, mental health. I suppose I I, I like to set myself little challenges. So the stand up comedy recently, it's, kind of related to the work that I do but you know putting together a five minute stand-up set was very little to do with work actually um yeah. so yeah I think having other stuff um but it's similar to Alex like I like to you know play the piano very occasionally uh, draw paint um but it's one of those things that falls by the wayside um and, and I'm sometimes you know quite um not not jealous I don't know if that's the right word but when I talk to people about um you know strategic thinking or creative thinking I say you know when you are going for a walk or in the shower and people who own their own business or who are in leadership positions do think about work like unconsciously a lot of the time or subconsciously um whereas you know often you come across people in a training session they're like no I don't think about work in the shower I'm thinking about my next fishing trip or I'm thinking about I don't know, I not buy my wife for a birthday or whatever. Like they, they literally, they, like they do the work and then they don't think about it when they're away from it. And in some ways that's probably a, a healthier balance um, or it's more sustainable maybe, I don't know. But then it's when you do stuff you really enjoy, then of course you're going to be thinking about it a lot because you want to do the very best mm. you can and, and solve problems and find creative solutions and things like that.
2: Harking back to the industrial revolution for a second, which is the third time we've brought it up this podcast, so why not? <laughs> um, but the, the whole mentality of um, production line and carrot and stick and all that kind of mentality, which I guess that culture still has drifted through our organisations. Um, looking at, I guess, recognising people through a healthy frame. Um, you know, I work for a not-for-profit organisation and so... The the carrot is not necessarily a big carrot, um, and the stick. Well, we don't want to be using that as a motivational tool. Like, how do we recognise people without the big dollars? Like, what else? What else can we do to create a culture where people can thrive um, through other other means?
3: Ask them. What do they want? You know about love languages?
1: That sounds way too hard, Bethan. Yeah. But then. yeah. <laughs>
3: or well, having a conversation
1: yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh I'm my absolutely. god how
3: how could we possibly have an honest conversation
1: how, how could we ask people what they people don't know what they we should tell them what they want
3: oh no i did it with a, a team recently you know just running through languages of appreciation as the love languages have kind of been rebranded We're for the workplace but uh, so it was an away day. I always not say with who just, you know, yeah. you never know. But, um, yeah, as a team of around 25. So we, um, went through a bit of kind of icebreaker stuff. My favorite, my go-to is what's made you smile in the last 24 hours. Cause you get to know the person. They That's helped nice. them to get to know each other outside of work or beyond the job title. And then, um, we used, I know Alex uses this as well, the emotional culture deck later on in the day, but, um, Uh, We talked about the seven levels of intimacy in conversation and how, you know, we take a risk when we go beyond the cliches and the facts into sharing opinions and sharing our hopes and dreams and fears, you know, and and needs are kind of right down the bottom there. But, um, you know, some some fun questions that got people beyond that. And then, yeah, I I got them to write down. we, We discussed it and then I got them to write down what their language of appreciation was and some of them hadn't thought about it before but one only one person a a young guy wrote down money was like financial reward was what made him feel good I think um I guess the rest of them were in a position where that wasn't um a desperate kind of need um there were you know fairly comfortable salaries for what they were doing and where they were at but um yeah it was it was all the other little things that were coming up coffee was definitely a love language of this team (laughs) and food and coffee is often there you know uh, whether it's like uh dinners out together breaking bread with people still you know like the being in person is still very very powerful um yeah yeah so yeah we wrote them all down and i gave it back to the team so they could see each other's and they were all happy to share um yeah it was really good
1: (laughs) that sounds fun what about you, Alex? What's your thoughts on that?
0: We don't say thank you enough. I would love to count how many times people or leaders said thank you to their uh, their team members, because yeah. I think a act of being grateful and thank and thanking people, it it can light you up. It it just makes you feel appreciated. It makes you feel good. And there's there's no cost, or you know money
1: involved in a simple thank you. Are you guys familiar with, well, you'd, you'd probably know Patrick Lencioni. He, he wrote it, he did a thing, uh, So he's, he runs an organisation called Table Group for people who don't know him. Uh, pretty much everything he's ever done is is worth investigating. Um, but he he did a thing on miserable jobs <laughs> um, and what makes a job miserable and he differentiated between jobs that are just a crappy job like, you know, you know, being a sewer working in sewerage that's a crappy job. Um, and, and then a miserable job, a miserable job is in differentiating what it means. And he said the three signs of a miserable job uh, first was an anonymity. So, if people aren't known, that was what their research showed out. So, people need to be known, uh, they need to be understood and appreciated for their unique quality, and, and not just they know their name, but their unique qualities. That's mm-hmm. what makes someone known. So, so people know what makes them unique and what they're bringing. Um, uh, and so. If people see themselves as invisible or generic um, or or replaceable, um, no matter what they're doing, it's a miserable job. Um, So it doesn't matter what the job is. If if people are seen as replaceable, it's a miserable job. Uh, The second thing is if their job is irrelevant. So people need to know their job matters um, to someone, anyone, without seeing a connection between the work and and satisfaction of another person. An employee can't find lasting fulfilment. So that thank you fits into that big one where you're actually placing relevance and importance on their job by taking the time to actually thank them for, for what they've done in that area. Um, but, yeah, and he's, he made a big point, I remember he made a big point, that even the most cynical of employees um, will change when they're thanked by their boss. And It's amazing how powerful that, it doesn't matter how cynical I am, that happens. And then the third area, which is largely um, irrelevant to what we were talking about, but is immeasurement. If people can't actually gauge progress with what they're doing, um, it's mm. it, it remains a miserable job. But a big part of it is not being thanked, um, like their job being irrelevant. Because if you're not thinking, if you're not thankful, what you do is rather irrelevant. In fact, we all have a common friend who, in their last job, they were the only person in the organization doing that job. So their job is very relevant, and yet they just were completely unacknowledged and mm-hmm. as we all know um together we work together to find another job <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which um if you're listening by the way and you know who you are you promise that you're going to take us all out for dinner yeah <laughs> yeah we're <laughs> waiting, we're waiting. <laughs> um yeah so i just wanted to, to expand on that thank you just the, the power of of that mm. those are really good answers by the way both of you
2: i wanted to talk about engaged staff and what they look like i feel like james there's um i could be wrong about this but i feel like there's an authority responsibility dynamic at play that you might be able to feed into that Mm.
1: yeah yeah. so what does an engaged staff look like so this is something i've done a a lot of thought about and where um it's not the be all and end all but i think a big overlooked element of of engaged people is that um they're given authority over an area because you have to be in charge of something to work even a janitor is in charge of something right so know what you're in so they're given clear guidelines about what they're in charge of and then they're actually given response so they're given responsibility for that as well so you're you're responsible for the outcome of that but then you're given authority to actually make changes in that area and to actually oversee that area and so if that balance of responsibility and authority goes out of whack so if, if someone's given um a whole bunch of they're held responsible for an area, but they have no authority. They're soon going to be disengaged because they're feeling powerless within that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to deliver, but I haven't got the stuff to deliver, and I can't actually change anything. And I can't make different policies, and disengagement will happen over time. And then it's it's true as well. So if someone is given um, authority, but they're not given responsibility, that'll usually lead to their team becoming engaged, disengaged. Sorry. <laughs> Um, because uh, th- there's someone out there wielding all this authority, but they have no responsibility for any of the decisions that they're making. They're not actually having to own any of the decisions they're making pretty soon. Um, those around them are having to wear it all, and so they're pretty soon there's a large feeling of disempowerment and disengaged that arises from that. And so th- that's, to me, when when people are given um, responsibility and authority in uh, matching amounts, is a really important part of a job feeling like you can actually make a difference here and you are making a difference mm-hmm. here. Um, and that's a, just a simple metric of asking people I've found, like, do you feel like you've got responsibility for, what are what you responsible for and how responsible do you feel for that and how much authority do you have in those areas as well? And when you're giving people the opportunity to actually answer that and have a look at what they're doing, it can provide some really interesting insights into teams and individuals into how, dis- how um, engaged and disengaged they are.
0: You've also got to think about competence in that model because you can give someone responsibility and authority but if they've got no idea what they're doing and you haven't trained them and you haven't developed them then that's not fair either so I think that autonomy and freedom and choice and responsibility are great but it's got to be built on a foundation of supporting people through their growth
1: yeah absolutely um yeah and that, to me, falls under the so under the broader thing that I've drawn up. That I put that under the responsibility thing. Like um, we're giving them the skills, and we're helping to develop them skills to actually be held responsible for this. Um, and we're giving them the skills to to take authority in this area as well. Um, and we're willing to walk with them as they figure that out because no one's got it when they first step into a or very very rarely people have it when they first step into a role. What are your thoughts, Beth Ann?
3: Often it's like feeling heard and valued. So I've seen people go from uh, pretty disengaged and feeling a bit burnt out to suddenly back on board after just one conversation sometime where they've been reassured that, you know, they are really, that's someone working remotely. um, that just had, you know, despite best efforts, was feeling a bit disconnected. Um, But, you know, being... Uh, listen to feeling valued was important, um, and I think uh, I observe engaged employees. They're very self motivated. Like they'll just back on, um, rather than needing to be led to do their own training. For example, they'll say, "Oh, I've seen this program. Can I do this?" Um, yeah. I think it would be valuable, and and and, and getting like making suggestions about stuff. Um, yeah. You know, they're they're being proactive generally. Yeah.
1: Um, giving yeses to your, to those. Oh, can I go do this? Mm, like it might cost mm, the company two grand, but disengage a disengaged employee is going to cost you way more than two grand.
3: Yeah.
1: Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> way, way. Like it's, it's infinitely more, or it might cost three four grand. I say two grand because the ignite program is two grand per person. <laughs> <laughs>
3: nice plug
1: wow <laughs> that just slipped in there real quick didn't it yeah
3: <laughs> yeah you getting have... that balance right because you know a former job of yeah. mine they never did never paid for any professional development and there were some pretty cheap asks and i would just go pay and do it myself yeah. um mm-hmm. and and beg for the time off and even that yeah. was hard um so yeah no get, getting getting a yes occasionally is important to feeling engaged. I think.
0: I wonder if we had engaged employees, whether we'd need managers anymore.
3: Mm. <laughs> mm. I've been yeah. in teams where the managers like you guys are the easiest ever because we were all competent, yeah. we were all yeah. proactive, we knew what we were doing, we just cracked on. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I. There'll always someone will always be a leader. In any in any group or society or community or thing mm. but there's a massive difference between a manager and a leader
0: mm. I um, love um, Marty Linsky's um, definition of leadership being a verb not you know not yeah. a, a role so it's it's what yeah. you do and yeah. depending on the context and the situation that's at hand will depend on what leader emerges from the group mm. yeah.
2: I mentioned the um, the open office plan before as like a dynamic at play when people are in the office can someone please just tell me how to like what what do we do with open office plans kill them
3: adam grant would have them all thrown in the bin yeah Yeah, he's been on a rant about that recently yeah
0: i had this I i was talking to someone a couple of days ago and they said wouldn't it be great if we had the office like a hotel so the hotel has some really cool rooms where you could go and, you know, have chats with great people like you. It had other areas that had, like, you know, whiteboards, like, around the whole place. It had little offices that you could go in and just lock yourself in and not see anyone. And you could um, book into the office slash hotel and your needs would be met in that environment. I, and
3: so the rooms I just,
1: for purpose, basically. Yeah,
0: yeah, I just think it would cool
1: purpose-built rooms like this is a room for this
3: uh, my brain just went oh yeah <laughs> this is the conversation about the work wife earlier
1: yeah the work wife but i think that's a great
3: yeah that's a great analogy apart from the undertones that are my my brain <laughs> created i apologize um but having the different spaces and yeah different and i think a few offices are you, you know just anecdotally around Perth, people are like, oh, yeah, we've got that now, kind of a play area, if you like, oh, God. <laughs> and um, kind of private booths for quiet work and that kind of thing. <laughs> but I, I, I suck at open plan working stuff. Everyone and, does. And a lot of yeah, people all the
1: science is showing that they should be killed off yesterday.
0: Mm.
1: That's, that's the, to me, that's the short and easy answer is there's, there is no science that's saying that we should keep them.
0: What's fascinating is going into organisations that still have offices for the big wigs, but then oh. everybody else has to sit open plan like that. Oh. Um, I, I just think that if everyone has to do I'm like, why is that fair? And then and then when those people want to work from home, it's like, oh, well, you can one day a week. That's what we'll create in our policy. And you go, <laughs> why? Oh, because we just want everyone here where we can see them so we can look out from our offices and make sure everybody is doing what they should be doing.
1: Yeah, that that just – well, some people's thoughts are much more important. So I need to be able to think them in, in peace. You know? Yeah, in a bigger room. Yeah. And itself. if you have a corner office, your thoughts are way more important. Yeah.
3: But it's it's that's full circle, right? Do you remember right at the beginning we were talking about, you know, those who work the weekends are the ones who get promoted. And therefore the ones who get mm. promoted look for people who work the weekends. Yeah. And so, you know, if the system serves you, why would you change it? You're yeah. at the top now. Yeah. You're not gonna suddenly go, Oh shit, we'll get rid of my corner office. I don't want it anymore. Mm. You're like, I'm here. This is my ego mm-hmm. and my status in yeah. a room like yeah. personified or whatever my
1: whole life
2: has been building towards that yeah. that space yeah,
1: so. yeah this is uh, there was a conversation i just had recently with it with a team from an organization and they're talking about trying to enact change and stuff like that and i said like, the first thing you got to realize is the system that you're in works for someone mm. otherwise it wouldn't be here and so it's working really well for someone so it's your job to communicate how it's not working for them and how something might different might work better but if you don't acknowledge that it's working Mm. then you'll never change anything.
0: Mm. Uh, I I am hopeful that some of the power is, sh- I'm using that word again, I know you don't like it, but the power is shifting to the employee. I think yeah, things yeah. like COVID and the fact that unemployment is almost, you know, everyone almost has a job who wants one. Um, yeah. And there's just a shift, right, with employees saying enough's enough and going back yeah. to, you know, the great resignation, Um People are kind of going, you know what, I'm not going to stick here if you're going to treat me like rubbish.
1: So therefore,
0: I think that's hopeful for me that that shift will um, make a a move. And then going back to your point earlier, James, it's about courage. It's about who are those people in those powerful roles that are willing to have the courage to do something different because it's the right thing to do.
1: Uh, And the the interesting thing is, I don't know what it's going to take to change it, but Um, one of my friends was put in charge of a professional women's sporting team and they were trying to get more sponsors and they were trying to figure out who, who can be the people to advocate and change for, for professional women's sporting teams. So at first he approached female business owners to sponsor it, to go on, to come on to, to put money into it, to sponsor it. What was interesting is that they discovered is that along the way that the women didn't sponsor the team, the women who owned businesses. Mm the people who sponsored the team was men with daughters. Mm. (laughs) And so how you communicate and to use another power word, leverage (laughs) for change may not be how we think it would be. Like his first thought was he's I'm never going to get any sponsors for this women's team because women don't want to do it. And then someone suggested, why don't we try men with daughters? And they like tripled their sponsorship in in Mm -hmm. two months. Um, so, so and I tell that story just to say that the, the leverage for the change, the leverage for, to get someone to, to get the courage for this, may be in, in an unexpected place and to not give up just because the first few attempts are going to fail. Hmm.
3: Um, I wish I could remember where I've read this recently, but it was the point around it, more broadly in society. Um, If you were to, uh, if you didn't know what your role was in a particular model of a society, and yet you had to pick Mm. which one you were going to go live in, that's how you know which is the fairest or the most uh, um, beneficial to most people by which one you'd go with if you didn't know that you're going to be at the top or the bottom. Does that make sense? (laughs)
1: Yeah. So if you had, if you're given two models and one of them, the CEO's current, you know, currently CEOs, what do they make? Like fifteen thousand times more yeah. than the <laughs> general wage. It's something ridiculous, right? Yeah. yeah. Would you pick that, not knowing you're going to be CEO or the secretary mm. for the lowest position, or would you pick where everyone gets paid the same?
3: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And and I always re- really respect people where the CEO or the MD pays some other people in the organization more than they get paid
1: yeah
3: i've come across that mm. a few times and i'm like oh yes because yeah. yeah. that's you know just uh, and and you know the the idea that we've been given our whole lives through the media and through our experiences mm-hmm. is that oh you're the boss you get paid the most
1: pay more? Yeah, not
3: necessarily yeah
2: it's called the veil of ignorance
3: <laughs> oh is okay. it
2: like that, that that uh, philosophy of kind of seeing the world. If you were to create a culture or a world um, in which you would not know where you would yeah. end up, yeah. um, how would you yeah. create it? John Rawls is a guy who.
3: Oh, came okay, out of- there you go. I think it must have been one of the books I've been reading. Yeah,
1: yeah. There's a there's a guy called Dan Price. Um, he started a company called Gravity Payments. So he took a multi million dollar pay cut to make the minimum wage for everyone at his company got paid at least $75,000 a year. Uh and so and and so uh, they, and it's interesting over the covid when in America where they've had a you know the great resignation too is that they didn't see uh they had no employees leave their their company mm. <laughs> cuz um even the people who could get paid more somewhere else wanted to be part of an organization that was fair and equitable Mm. and so the ceo got paid the same as you know the janitor uh, at their offices yeah interesting because he owned the company i think he had shares and stuff so he did end up making more money but the actual salary um he took a massive cut so that he could pay others Yeah. yeah yeah It's it's an interesting story of his thing, but mm. yes, just be warned. He is not a perfect human being and there is some yep. ongoing investigations as to whether he mistreated some female staff. Bye. Yeah. Alex Bethan, this has been an extraordinary conversation. Uh, we've gone on way longer than I expected, but I should have expected this. Um, <laughs> uh, it's been incredibly valuable. Uh, there's so much in this. I want to, you guys to, uh, before we go to, if people want to talk to you more about what you do and get in touch with what you do, they can just email me for starters and I'll put them on you. But is there anything else that you want to communicate to them before we leave about getting in touch with you and working with you?
3: Uh, sure. Uh, always open to a conversation. Um, hello at Bethanwen.com. So B E T H bethanwin yes. Um, but I'm very active on LinkedIn um, occasionally active on Instagram with a bit of the more human side of life uh, so yeah connect with me on there and uh, always open to a, a chat to see if I can help out in any way
1: <laughs> awesome what about you Alex how do people get in touch with you
0: LinkedIn is the best place to find me at the moment. The website's coming. It's in in construction. So that will be coming. But, yeah, just pop me a message on LinkedIn. That's the best way.
1: How do they find you? How do we spell your name?
0: A-L-E-X. And then the surname is Bukowski. B-A-K-I-W-S-K-I.
2: And I'll add links into the show notes as well so people will be able to find it there too. Excellent.
1: Thank you very much for your time. This has been an incredible fun and a fun learning experience for me. Um, uh, Now, I do want to announce just before we go, uh, listen to our um, outro because it's about our new sponsor, Opportunity International, and how you can get involved with the incredible work that they're doing with women around the world. Cool. Thank you for your time.
3: Thank you. Thank
2: you all. Thanks for listening to the Lead Different podcast. At Lead Different, we build leaders worth following and create cultures where people thrive. If you're curious about finding out more, head to leaddifferent.org. The Lead Different podcast is brought to you by Opportunity International Australia. Opportunity is ending poverty in developing countries, one family and one community at a time. By providing small loans and other support services to families in need, Opportunity helps them grow their own businesses and generate sustainable incomes so they can lift themselves out of poverty with dignity, creating a new future for generations to come. Head to opportunity.org.au.
3: Karen has to edit that. Ha. Sorry, mate.
1: This is gonna be the worst edit, isn't it, Karen?
2: This is gonna be the hardest one by far.